Amen. So here we are. Um, there's a worship song that, that uh, gained some traction uh, when I was younger. Um, and I wouldn't say it was a worship song, but it, it's more of a contemporary Christian song. And uh, it was kind of more to be an encouragement to the church. The, the song was called Clear the Stage. While the church at this time was kind of figuring out, many churches were trying to figure out worship styles. Many churches, uh, and, and kind of in the song, you can kind of tell that people had made idols of different aspects of worship. They've made idols that they're going to die on. This has to be here. We have to do it this way. We have to do it that way. Or it's not, I'm not going to like it. Or I'm not going to come to church. Or I'm not going to give my money. And they made idols to different things. And, and I see it in both sides. And both sides have these great uh, hills they're going to die on. And it totally gets away from worshiping God. So in, in, so in his song, he talks about clearing the stage. He's, and, and his premise for the song is, whatever you need to take to crush idols, do it. He says, anything that you put before your God is an idol. And then he goes and says, we must not worship something that's not even worth it. It's sad in America. It's sad that people are worshiping all over, and it's not just them, it's just in general, that people worship things that aren't even worth it. So I, as, we, as we get into this text, I want us to think about those things. Think about what, what maybe is, is hindering our worship, and what are some principles of worship that we can gather from the Old Testament that can be with us as we worship God today. Short history here. So the context of this is Solomon is dedicating the temple. So just a short history of the temple. The temple was something. They, remember we talked about the tabernacle a few months ago uh, in, in Exodus. They built this tabernacle, and it was to house the presence of God. It was a place of meeting with God. Later on, Israel got a king. King David was the second king. And King David wanted to build a temple, a house for God. I want God to be in a permanent place and dwell with his people in Jerusalem. So, uh, David could not finish the project. He, I, don't, I don't know how much he even got started on the project, but even and God promised him that Solomon would be the one, his son, his heir, would be the one to finish this project. Solomon goes on, finishes the project. This is where we get to this verse here, but I'm going I'm to go a little further on. So... Um, a foreign army comes in, I think it's Babylon, I forget exactly which one, and uh, sacks the temple, sacks Jerusalem, and, and, and takes their people off, destroys the temple. This great place of splendor that, 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 supposed, that houses God. Ezekiel, before this happens, Ezekiel records that the spirit, he saw the Spirit of God in a vision leaving the temple because of their idolatry, because they had gotten off a pace. So many kings before that came. Some people neglected worship of God. Some people restored worship of God. But there was a, there was, God was still there with his people in his temple. Later on, a guy comes. They come back from exile. Ezra and Nehemiah rebuild the walls of the city. The governor Zerubbabel builds back the temple. Not in great shape, but there was a place for them to worship God at. Later on, Herod comes and 
and makes this magnificent temple. It was said when you, when you start to see Jerusalem from a distance, you could see the gold on the temple. You could see that temple shining. Herod's temple was a thing of splendor and glory. Herod, probably not with the right motivations, but this was the temple that Jesus knew. This is the temple that Jesus says, I will tear down and in three days rebuild. This was a grandiose temple. That's what made Jesus's, that's what made Jesus's statements so controversial. You're going to tear down all this temple by yourself and raise it again, not knowing that he was talking about himself. We see allusions to the temple in different letters. Paul talks to the Corinthian believers and says, you are the temple. You, are the, you house the Holy Spirits in the presence of God like the temple used to. And in the passage that we're going to see is Peter. He's going to talk about them being living stones, a living temple. As they get together, they experience the presence of God. They experience the encouragement and the comfort that comes from knowing God. They experience supernatural things in the power of his word. This beautiful, beautiful picture of the church coming together, lives being changed. 66 A.D., I know y'all have heard me talk about this before, 66 A.D., big, big date in church history because that's when Rome surrounded Jerusalem after, an, after a rebellion and crushed them. And it's just no, they didn't leave, as Jesus said, one stone turned on another. Now we only have this wall called the Western Wall. If you see pictures of Jerusalem and people worshiping, a lot of Orthodox Jews with their uh, the black on and they got the curls coming out their hair. I forget what they call them. I'm, <laughs> and, and they got the hats on and stuff. They're praying at the Western Wall. If I'm not mistaken, that, that used to be part of the temple. This place that was once the housing of the presence of God, where a high priest couldn't go in for fear of death. David, it said David, at one time, it, I, I was reading in Chronicles, David was, he wanted to worship God and he wanted to talk to God, but he was so afraid to even go in the temple because he was afraid because he knew God's presence was there and he knew he was a sinful man. So here we have this temple. In this, um, and I think when we look at this text, we'll find some great principles for worship. Just one thing, uh, we'll get to that in a second. But the context is, is Solomon is dedicating the temple. So what was the temple built for? What was it built for? Short answer, it's built for worship, for us to worship God. Here is Solomon's prayer. The Spirit of God had just come in and, and clouded out and, and made this big cloud, and the people were in awe and fear, and he came into the temple. It's a beautiful picture before that. So he is dedicating the temple. So the first thing I want us to see, and I've, I've got some points, but I'm going to move through them pretty fast because I know, you know, we have a time limit here, but also um, we're going to be reading some, some, some big Big sections of scripture here. First of all, the temple was a place to remember God's covenant and faithfulness. Kings 8.22 says this, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire congregation of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. He said, Lord, God of Israel, there is none like you in heaven or, or on earth below who keep the gracious covenant with your servant who walks before you with all their heart who, keep, who have kept 
what you promised to your servant, my father David. You spoke directly to him, and you fulfilled your promise by your power, as it is today. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, keep what you have promised you uh, to your servant David. You will never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons take care to walk before me, as you have walked before me. Now, Lord God of Israel, please confirm what you have promised to your servant, my father, David. A place to remember God's covenant. God made a covenant with David. And that was essentially the covenant. If you're obedient to me, I will bless. I will bless your, your kingdom. I will bless you. We see it throughout Scripture. If you read these, these books, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, it's a lot of reading, but it talks about obedient kings and it talks about disobedient kings. It talks about God adhering to the word and then God letting judgment come on, on his people. It talks about great revivals and it talks about great idolatry. We aren't under this covenant anymore, but God keeps his word. We are under a greater covenant, a better covenant. If we are in Christ, if we have accepted him as our Savior, if we put our faith and trust in him, we are under a different covenant. And I pray that as we come to worship, we understand that. And it's one based on the righteousness of Christ. It's one that we've put our faith and trust in him. God can't break that covenant because it's based on someone who's perfect. All we do is believe and live out our life of worship. Remember God's faithfulness. When we come in here, there's a lot of reasons that we can look at ourselves and maybe say, I don't make it. I'm not good enough. I'm not, I, I can't do the things that other guys can, or other girls can do. But God accepts you. And God loves you. This is a foreshadowing of Christ. We see Christ has fulfilled the covenant. So although we can't come in and worship under that old covenant, we come in and worship because of what Christ has done for us. It's a place to remember God's covenant and faithfulness. Secondly, it's a place for God. Verse 27 says, But will God indeed live on earth? Even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you much less this temple I have built. Think about that for a second there. Solomon is acknowledging that God can't be held in a place. Although God's presence is in there, God can't be confined to a place. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's, He's everywhere. But Solomon goes on, verse 28, Listen to your servant's prayer and his petition. Lord my God, so that you may hear and so that you may hear the cry and the prayers, prayer that your servant prays before you, so that your eyes may watch over this temple night and day toward the place where you said, My name will be there. And so you may hear the prayer that your servant prays toward this place. Hear the petition of your servant and your people Israel, which they pray toward this place. May you hear in your dwelling place in heaven. I love that last phrase. It says, may you hear and forgive. We said God can't be contained. And we talked about the presence of God being in and being out. But this is a place for God. A place for prayer. When we come together, I pray that 
you pray. It's not just for a performance prayer. It's not for a performance piece. It's not for you to listen to an interesting sermon. It's for you to get right with God. When we come together, when Peter calls us the living temple, I pray that when we come together, we take a moment to get right with God. And we have God's faithfulness that he hears. And when we're contrite in our heart, he forgives. Because he loves us. He hears and forgives. You know, God isn't contained in that building. But it was a reminder that there was a place for God. And whenever you are as far off as you feel like you can't be, you can't come back to God, God is there waiting. He loves you. We see a place to remember God's covenant, a place for God. Thirdly, a place uh, to will for justice, a place to will for justice. This is kind of a harder, harder point, but I, I want you to see this in verse 31. If a man sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath, he comes to take an oath before your altar in, his, in this temple. May you hear in heaven and act. May you judge your servants, condemning the the wicked man by bringing what he has done on his own head and providing justice for the righteous for the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. Now this is an allusion to the Old Testament law. Once again, we're not under that law, but we, we kind of understand some things about God's character through that law. <clears throat> but this is a place for justice. This is a place where we can be honest in front of God. When the Holy Spirit may point out something and says, I need you to get right with this. This is a place of honesty in front of God. This is a place of honesty where you can get help. This is a place where, where uh, and when I'm saying this, I mean as we gather as a church, as we worship God, we can be honest in front of God. A chance to get right. When you hear something, when, when the Spirit prompts you, when, when, when you... When you feel that prompting, do you take a chance to get right with God? To be honest in front of Him? To be someone that's, that's open and transparent in front of a holy God? A place for justice. Fourthly, a place to pray in pain. A place, a place to pray in pain. We're talking about pain here. We're going to see it in the in the next few verses, but there are churches out there and there are folks out there that try to make your Sunday experience as far away from uh, awkward as they can possibly do it, as far away from uh, painful as you can do it. But there's a reason when we worship God, sometimes it accompanies tears. Tears accompany it. There's a beauty when we're when we're celebrating the life of someone whom we love, who is laying in front of, uh, who is laying in front of a pulpit, not going to get up. There's comfort in God, but there's comfort, and sometimes there's tears and tough things that we have to see. Sometimes God, uh, we go through trials and things in our lives. Life isn't always easy. We have these facades that we may put up. But life happens. Look at what the verse says here. When your people Israel are defeated. I don't know of anybody that likes to be defeated or likes to know they get defeated. 
when your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you and they return to you and praise your name and they pray and plead with you for mercy in, in this temple. May you hear in heaven and forgive the sins of your, of your people. May you restore them to the land you gave their ancestors. When the skies are shut and there is no rain, because they have sinned against you and, because, and they pray toward this place and, and, and praise your name and they turn from their sin because you are afflicting them, May you hear in heaven and may you forgive the sins of your servant and your people Israel so that you may teach them the good way they should walk in. May you send rain on your land uh, on your land that you gave your people as an inheritance. When there is a famine in the land, when there is pestilence, when there is blight or mildew, locust or grasshopper, when their enemy besieges them in their land and in its cities, when there is a plague or illness, every prayer or petition that any person or all your people Israel may have, they, know, they each know their own affliction. As they spread out their hands toward this temple, may you hear in heaven your dwelling place, and may you forgive and act to give to everyone according to all their ways. Look at what it says here, back half of verse 39. Since you know each heart, for you alone know every heart, so that they may fear you all the days of their life, all the days they live on the land you gave their ancestors. Now, God's blessing is not contingent on our obedience. We talked about being in the new covenant. We talked about being in Christ, and it's all on Christ's obedience. That doesn't, but that does not negate that we will go through suffering. We will go through tough times. Things will happen to us that we can't explain. Things will happen that will bring us grief, maybe even a lifetime's worth of grief. Verse 39, he hears, he knows every heart. He still knows every heart. He knows each heart. We serve a God who knows us. That we, can, that we can come to him in pain and defeat, drought, famine, pestilence, blight, mildew, locust, grasshopper, plague, all of these things. We add, add what you're struggling, what you're going through. Because I know as we come to worship, not everybody's had the greatest of weeks. Not everyone has the best of outlooks. There's pain in people's lives. And as we worship him, we can worship even in our pain. Because he is able. Our worship does not always have to be pretty, but God knows our hearts. Our worship may accompany tears. It may accompany even uh, grief. But it doesn't have to stay that way because we serve a God who knows our hearts and who has given us a beautiful Savior. It's a place... Fifth, it's a place for others to worship God. It's a place for others to worship God. Look at verse 41. Even the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear your great name, strong hand and outstretched arm, and will come and pray toward this temple. May you hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all the foreigners ask. Uh, then all the people of the earth will know your name to fear you as your people Israel do and to know that this temple uh, I have built bears your names. There are people who are going to come to Israel to worship God. 
There are people who are coming to Israel um, just as a part of, of migration and stuff. We see it throughout the Bible. We see it in the, in, the, in, in the second chapter of Acts. If you were to look through all the different ways they describe the, the nationality of folks in, in Acts 2, there's a lot of different words that they use there. Others, this is a place for others to worship God. At its best, King Solomon would, would, uh, would uh, entertain Sheba, who was a queen, I think, in Ethiopia. And she would come to worship God. We see that in Acts 2. Still, people would come and worship God. There were these God-fearing people, they, these guys that knew that there was one God, and they would come to Israel to worship him, even though they weren't Jewish. God is not for an exclusive group. God wants all to come and trust him as their Savior. To gain a better direction, verses 44 and 45. This was a little bit of a tough one too here. To gain a better direction. When your people go out to fight against their enemy, wherever you send them and pray to the Lord in in the direction of the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, may you hear their prayer and petition in heaven and uphold their cause. Now they were actually praying before a battle. And there were instances where where God would say, yes, go to the battle. No, don't go to the battle. We still can come to God's house. We still, even in our own private life, we can still pray to God for direction. And he will lead our path. We can use this as a time to get right with his direction too. And then the last thing I want us to see in this passage here, it's a place to repent and worship again. A place to repent and worship again. Verse uh, 46 says it this way. When they, see, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and, and, and hand them over to their enemies and their captors, deport them to their enemy's country, whether distant or nearby. And when they come to their senses and in the land where they were deported, and repent and petition you in their captor's land, we have sinned and done wrong, we have been wicked. And when they return to you, with all their heart and their soul in the land of their enemy who took them captive, when, when they pray to you in the direction of, you, of their land that you gave to their ancestors since you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, uh, may, may you hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and petition and uphold their cause. May you forgive your people who sinned against you and all their rebellion against you. And may you grant them compassion before their captors, so that they may treat so that they may treat them compassionately. For they are your people and your inheritance. You brought them out of Egypt, out of the middle of an iron furnace. May your eyes be open to your petition, servant's petition, and to the petition of your people Israel. Listen to them whenever they call to you. For you, Lord God, have sent them apart as your inheritance from all the peoples of the earth as you spoke through your servant Moses when you brought your ancestors out of Egypt. A place to repent and to worship again. Do we take a chance to get right with God as we worship him? The crazy thing here in in that phrase in verse 47, and when they came to their senses, he's talking about when they get taken to be in exile, 
kind of a prophetic thing because uh, I don't know if by the time they were writing this, he knew that they were going to go into exile. But they went to exile. They were people who were, who were taken from their land. In verse 47, and when they come to their senses, that's the same kind of language that was used, even though it's Hebrew and Greek. It's the same kind of language when, when he's describing the, uh, the tale of the, uh, of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is, is, filling his, is longing to fill his belly with the pods that are, that, are, that are feeding the pigs. And he comes to his senses. He says, my father will take me back even as a slave. When they come to their senses, as we, as we worship, I pray that as God works in our lives, that we come to our senses, get right with him. This would be the way that Israel would do it soon. And they would go off into Babylon and then into Persia where King Cyrus finally brings them back here uh, of the Persians. But they are to pray and never give up. God never says, look, I disown you. I don't want you anymore. There will be a time when it's too late. But as you have breath in your lungs, God loves you, and God wants you to get right with him. Look at the byproduct of worship, the last verse in the, uh, in the chapter. On the 15th day, he sent the people away. So they blessed the king and went to their homes, rejoicing with happy hearts for their goodness that the Lord had done for his servant David and for all his people, Israel. When they left after dedicating the temple, after knowing that they would have a place for God, a place for worship of God. Their hearts were happy. I pray that as we leave this place, our hearts are happy. pray that as we go home, we're rejoicing in what he has doing in our lives, in our family, and in our midst. I pray that we continue to, uh, to, to worship him. I, I'm just going to read you the... Um, as I end, I'm going to read you the song I talked about earlier, the Clear the Stage song. And it's a beautiful song, and I want us to kind of look at this, you know, kind of the, the enemy to what was happening with the temple were the idols. And idol worship had gotten so bad before the exile was they were setting up idols even in the courtyards of the temple. These people were putting other things in front of, in front of God. And God wanted them to get right, and eventually they did. Brought them out of Egypt. Jesus came, died for our sins, and then the gospel has taken to the, to the ends of the earth. Well, I'm going to read this song to you. It says, Clear the stage, set the sound, the lights ablaze. That's the measure you must take to crush the idols. Chuck the pews and all the decorations too until the congregation's few, then have revival. Tell your friends that this is where the party ends until you're broken for the sins. You can't be social. Then listen, then seek the Lord and wait for what he has in store. And just be hopeful. And know that you're great as your reward and just be hopeful. Because you can sing all you want to. Yes, you can sing all you want to. Yes, you can sing all you want to. And don't get me wrong, worship is more than a song. Take a break from all the plans that you make and sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper. Beg him, please, to open up his mouth and speak. And pray for real on your knees until they blister. Shine the light on every corner of your life until the pride and lust and lies are in the open. 
Then read the word and put to test the things you've heard until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken. Because you can sing all you want to. Yes, you can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to. And don't get me wrong, worship is more than a song. Anything I put before my God is an idol. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. Anything I give all my love is an idol. We must not worship something that's not even worth it. Clear the stage. Make some space for the one who deserves it. We can sing all we want to. We can come here. We can, we can do all the things. We can, we can play Christian. I pray that as we look at who God is in the worship of God, that you come to worship God. Let's pray.